Hey everyone, I'm Thanos Dabelis and welcome back to The Greek Current, a podcast by the Hellenic American Leadership Council and Kathy Merini, where we highlight the top stories of the day every afternoon with analysis from guest experts, policymakers, journalists, and health staff. North Macedonia's Prime Minister Zoran Zaev announced earlier this week that he would resign after his party suffered an overwhelming defeat during recent municipal elections to the nationalist VMRO DPMNE, the main opposition party. Following the election, Zaev insisted that the coalition could agree on another candidate for prime minister and form a government, rejecting calls from the opposition for early elections. Late on Friday, however, opposition leader Hirsijan Miskowski met with other political leaders, including members of the ruling coalition, to announce that they would form a new majority in North Macedonia's parliament that could topple Zaev's cabinet. Professor Florian Bieber, an expert on the Balkans, joins the Greek Current to break down the recent elections in North Macedonia and its aftermath. Professor Florian Bieber is a professor of Southeast European History and Politics and director of the Center for Southeast European Studies at the University of Graz in Austria. He is also a coordinator at the Balkans in Europe Policy Advisory Group. Professor Bieber, welcome to The Greek Current. Hi, good to talk to you. So we spoke yesterday in depth about the elections in North Macedonia and Prime Minister Zaev's decision to resign. But the news that emerged last night with the opposition announcing it had a new majority that could topple Zaev's cabinet has meant we had to scrap that discussion and come back to the drawing board. What exactly took place last night in Skopje, and what do we know about this new majority that was announced by the opposition leader? Yeah, this was quite a surprise move. One was anticipating, actually, rather to see who was going to be the new prime minister of the ruling coalition. And instead, the leader of the opposition, Christian Mitskovsky, who was the leader of the Bemoro de Pemane, the nationalist conservative uh, opposition party, posted a few pictures on Facebook, which showed him together with the leaders of other opposition parties, the left, Levitsa, as well as two Albanian parties who had been part of the majority, the ruling majority so far, meeting together. Uh, they include the Alliance, an Albanian party, as well as BESA, another Albanian grouping. And there, uh, he said, a new future is coming, new age, a new hope, strong challenges await us. And he said, Macedonia will succeed, we have a new parliamentary majority. Now, the party's MPs jointly have a very slight majority of 61 members of parliament they control out of 120, if indeed they form a coalition. And that's far from clear whether they actually are going to be able to manage that new majority seems a lot less clear after the announcement by Mitskovsky late on Friday evening. Opposition leader Mitskowski said that there are now two options at play. Either he will be able to form a new government, which you said isn't exactly clear, or there will be early parliamentary elections. What does this now mean for North Macedonia's politics? Do you think that we're heading towards early elections? I mean, I think we're, first of all, heading for a lot of backroom dealing and uncertainty. I mean, at least in the first days after this announcement, there are a couple of voices from some of the Albanian parties which say that an MPs that they might be in favor of overthrowing the current government, but they're not necessarily in favor of joining the new majority. And that's got a lot to do with the fact that it includes this other party called Levitsa, the left, which in fact has turned out to be a much more kind of far right party. It's anti-NATO. It's quite nationalist. It's against the PRESPA agreement and is a party which might be very difficult for Albanian parties to work together with. So whether or not they will be able to form a government seems quite unclear. It could also happen, I mean, and that's you know also not excluded, that the Albanian parties which met with Mitskowski are using this as a bargaining chip to change a configuration in the current government, in the outgoing government, and then avert elections. All of this is possible. So 
the current government reconfigured early elections or a new government led by the opposition are all in the cards at the moment. And I would say the most likely scenario is early elections because it seems too narrow of a majority, 61 MPs, and it requires all of them to work together for this new opposition-led government. That seems tight. The signal of walking over and getting a picture taken with the opposition leader seems not a good prospect for any stability in the current government. So I think early elections seem at the moment like the most likely outcome. Of course, that could be still several months away. A lot can happen during that period of time. But after the defeat of the Social Democrats and their allies in local elections, it does seem very likely that in national elections, there would be a defeat in the cards for the current government. It was reported that the key factor tipping the scale in the opposition's favor was the defection of the Albanian Besa party, whose four MPs provided support for Zaev's ruling majority. Up until Thursday, Besa repeatedly pledged its support for the current majority, or Zaev's cabinet, saying it should continue to lead the country. It switched sides on Friday night, however. What caused this defection? A lot of it has to do with internal infighting among Albanian parties. I mean, we have three Albanian parties. For a long time, the dominant party was the Movement for Integration, which was the party known as BDI by its Albanian abbreviation or DUI by the Macedonian abbreviation. And they are the group which emerged out of the National Liberation Army, the insurgent group during the 2001 conflict. They've been kind of dominating Albanian minority politics in the country. But they've been increasingly seen as being corrupt. They were in coalition with the Vemero for the whole period. They were in power, not the first two years, but from 2008 until 2016. They were tainted by corruption scandals. And they were the big losers, in fact, in these local elections. They lost Tetovo, for example, which they had governed for a long period of time. And the two other upcoming Albanian parties, Besa, you've mentioned, and the Alliance, are two parties which are kind of challenging their dominance. And so a lot of these decisions seem to have to do with the defeat of Albanian parties or their bad results and infighting among them. Again, a lot of it is very intransparent. Also, Besa is reputed to have good ties to Recep Tayyip Erdogan, the Turkish president. So whether or not, you know, there's some international dimension to all of that is unclear. We don't know that yet, but certainly it's got a lot to do with these very, in a certain way, tense relations among Albanian parties in the country. It appears that the parties in North Macedonia representing the Albanian ethnic bloc have become more or less political kingmakers, both for Zaev and now for Mitskoski. How important is their role in North Macedonia's politics overall? Indeed, they have been the kingmakers for a long period of time. I mean, it's partly to do with the fact that Albanian political parties have been part of ruling coalition since independence. So it's, it's understood that they should be included, but also the high level of polarization between the conservative opposition and the social democrats means that they are excluded to work together. So the Albanian parties are crucial in securing any side a majority. And it's been like that for decades now. So in that sense, they've been quite important. But we're also talking about a time when the Albanian parties are the most split ever. In the past, there was always one party which absolutely dominated. In the last elections, we've seen really a strong split among those three Albanian parties. There are a few more, but these are the most important ones. 
and their relations are quite tumultuous. And in fact, that made the government formation last year already difficult as these parties are competing with each other and not seeing eye to eye on many issues. Florian, I want to look back at the elections that took place that provide the backdrop for these developments. In the recent local elections, the main opposition party, the VMRO DPMNE, won at least half of the country's 80 municipalities, while Zayb Social Democrats won fewer than 20. The result marks a major turnaround in North Macedonia's political stage since four years ago when the Social Democrats won 57 municipalities and the VMRO only five. What explains this turnaround? Well, there are two reasons for this turnaround. One is local and the other one is national or or European, you might call it. The local source of the story is that people swept the ruling coalition into power, the Social Democrats into power, many municipalities in 2017. This was after the conservatives were defeated in parliamentary elections. They'd been really kicked out of office because of serious abuse, lots of scandals, wiretapping the Back then, Prime Minister Nikola Gorevsky had to resign. He was also forced out of the country. In fact, he was about to be sentenced, and he fled sentencing by escaping to Budapest. So really, the previous party was severely tainted and thus lost elections across the country, which kind of confirmed their defeat. So the expectations were very high of the Social Democrats to um, really clean up the mess left behind by their predecessors. And they often didn't. Now, of course, they weren't as corrupt, they weren't as abusive of power as their predecessors were. But in many local instances, people felt like they didn't really structurally change the dynamics. So they might have, you know, been less excessive in their abuse of power, but they didn't really deal with the legacy enough. And I think that disappointment is one major source. And local observers have been saying that there are lots of you know, candidates where we're not good choices, people who are seen as being tainted in corruption scandals and so on at the local level. So all of that contributed to their defeat, you know, being local elections and people vote for local issues. Now, the other dimension is the European dimension. And that's certainly the vote was also a kind of penalizing the government for betting so much on EU integration and getting so little in exchange. You know, the ruling coalition engaged in, in negotiations with Greece, which led to the PRESPA agreement in the attempt to open the doors for EU accession process, and then was thwarted by the first the French veto in 2019, and then by the veto of Bulgaria over identity questions. And basically, voters are very disappointed in the government saying, we've done all of these difficult compromises, we've changed the name of the country, changed you know laws, and so on. And we've got basically nothing in return. I mean, the country got membership in NATO, but this is not what people vote for. People voted for EU accession process, and that's going nowhere. So people, in a sort of punishing the government for the government investing all of their energy into EU accession and failing to actually get anywhere with that. So in that sense, the resignation of Zaev was certainly also a message to the European Union of saying, look, you've failed us, you've let us down, and this is your defeat as well. Florian, the VMRO DPMNE has been vocal in its opposition to the PRESPA agreement in the past, the agreement which resolved the name dispute with Greece. Now that it looks like it's returning to power, are there concerns about its commitments to implementing the deal in full? It's certainly going to be a big challenge. I mean, the party will be torn between the PRESPA agreement and domestic legal obligations and its politics. 
So indeed, I mean, the, the Facebook post, which the party leader Mitskovsky posted, talked about Macedonia will succeed. So he explicitly didn't use North Macedonia there. And I've seen his supporters were saying never North again in kind of statements yesterday. So there's certainly this kind of a nationalist supporter base, but he's also constrained by the laws and by the Prespa agreement. And the Albanian political parties are going to put if he has a majority with them, are going to put pressure on him to stick to the agreement because their interest is certainly not to alienate Greece and not to jeopardize also the further EU integration process because they know very well that you know, Bulgaria might drop its objections next month, but if the country is going back on the Prespa agreement, then of course Greece might object uh, next. So I think he will be under a lot of pressure also internationally to live up to the agreement. Now, certainly, it will be a lot harder to implement the agreement. There will be more obstacles. And one can see him certainly dragging his feet on these issues. But I think he will be in a very difficult position, torn between the commitment the country has, and you can't just drop all that easily, and at the same time, actually you know, kind of satisfying your voters in the process and not making them feel like they're actually stuck with an agreement they fundamentally didn't like. You mentioned how Zayev's resignation was also a message to the European Union. Do you think there's a broader warning here for the EU if it continues to fall short of its promises to the Western Balkans? Absolutely. It's a serious warning. I mean, some um, Serbian politicians have been kind of mocking Zayev and his party colleagues, saying, you are naive, you invested all of your energy into the European Union. We are much more pragmatic. We are working with China, we are working with uh, Russia, we are working with everybody, and the EU is just one of many different partners. And so you are like the idealists who fail. And of course, the problem with that kind of message is that the message is, well, be more cynical, be more opportunistic, don't have a value-driven foreign policy or EU integration policy, which really seeks to bring the country into the European Union, and instead just kind of builds strategic alliances, not based on any kind of commitment. And that kind of message is certainly not in the European Union's interest, but also not in the interest of the citizens, because that basically deprives them of the kind of transformation this whole process is about, to kind of stabilize the countries, make them more accountable, more democratic, and also more uh, integrated with good neighborly relations. So from that point of view, the European Union has really let down not just the country, but has had a chilling effect. If you are a reform-minded politician in the Western Balkans at the moment, you're going to think twice about which risks you're going to take because you're not sure you're going to get any reward for what you're doing. You might, in fact, get punished because you might have to do things which are not popular, at least in the short term. So I think you know, we're going to see either less electoral success of reformers or the ones who get elected are going to be a lot more cautious in taking any risks which might jeopardize their electoral chances because they know no reward might be coming anytime soon. Florian, thank you for joining us on The Greek Current for a second time. Uh, it's great speaking with you. Okay, good talking to you. In other news, Greece wants to make all of its inhabited islands ecologically friendly as the country pushes to meet a target of cutting harmful emissions at least 55% by 2030. A nationwide campaign dubbed GR Eco Islands kicked off in Halki, a small island in the Aegean. Speaking from Halki, Prime Minister Kyriakos Mitsotakis said the aim is to make Greece's islands independent of the national grid by providing them with renewable energy sources, transforming them into models of green economy, energy autonomy, digital innovation, and ecological mobility. Residents and the local municipality are expected to see electricity bills fall by a combined 200,000 euros a year, 
while CO2 emissions are expected to drop by around 1,800 metric tons. Finally, the African dimension of Greece's foreign policy was showcased Friday with a visit by Foreign Minister Nikos Zendias to Rwanda, the first visit of a Greek foreign minister to the African country. Diplomatic sources stress that Zendias' visit clearly demonstrates Athens' intention to open up to sub-Saharan Africa, which for years remained outside the framework of Greek foreign policy priorities. During the visit, Greece also donated 330,000 vaccines against the coronavirus to Rwanda, following another delivery of 200,000 doses in September. Apart from promoting vaccine equity, Greece seeks to deepen ties with Africa and show its global engagement, as sources say the country plans to seek a seat on the UN Security Council. That wraps up today's episode of The Greek Current. Thanks for tuning in.